that lead in. Isn't that great uh, with the text messages and the phones? And uh, Can you imagine Jesus rising from the tomb in 2017 and how the information would spread? Uh, the way it spread then was people just running through the streets, his followers telling each other, he has risen, he has risen indeed. We're so glad that you're here on this Easter and so glad to see you here this morning. If it's your first time here, uh, your first time in a while, or you come every Sunday, we want to welcome you once again to Resurrection Sunday. And if I've never met you before, I'm Pastor Tony Van Manen, the lead pastor here at Centennial. We are delighted to have you worship with us and so excited for this day. You know, every Sunday is a celebration of Jesus rising from the grave. He is risen, and we sing about it, and we speak about it every Sunday. But on Easter, we have this special day to remember what he's done. And we're going to start today in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. You know, Revelation is a book about prophecy, but it has a whole lot to say about resurrection. And if you're physically able, if you would join me in standing as I read there in Revelation chapter 1. Starting today in verse number 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shined in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Today we're going to talk about nailing death to his cross. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this special day of celebration. For what your son Jesus Christ has done for us. And we think of the disciples and the followers of Jesus who on that weekday saw you crucified and days later had nowhere to turn, didn't know what was going to happen with their lives. And then the news came that the grave was empty, that you had risen from the tomb. And they saw the prints of the nails in your hands and your feet. And Lord, we thank you for that day. We thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you again that we can celebrate together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're in a series called Nailing It to His Cross, and we're dealing with five things that are against us that Jesus nailed to His cross. We started in week one with objections. Last week, we talked about sin, and today we're talking about the fact that Jesus nailed death to His cross. There is something significant that makes Christianity stand out as the only resurrection belief system on the planet. Our founder, Jesus Christ, is alive and well. 
And there is no other religion on planet earth that can say that. Our founder is alive and well. We just read his words to John the Apostle in Revelation 1. I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And you know, his defeat of death assures us that someday death will be the last enemy to be destroyed. Today I want to cover some things about resurrection that we're going to see through the lens of the past in Scripture. And then I want to cover also some things that we're going to see through the lens of the future in the Scripture. And I want to give you a very simple message of hope in Jesus today. But it's also going to be a doctrinal message that is founded on the accounts given in Scripture. And so uh, let's go back in time and let's go back to the past into what they call the Old Testament. And let's talk first about the resurrection promised. And if you have notes in your bulletin, you can follow along with us today if you'd like to. The resurrection promised. From the time of Abraham, the Jewish patriarchs all, all believed and talked about resurrection. And through the time of the prophets, many of God's mouthpieces, these Men of God revealed that resurrection was coming. And during his days on earth, Jesus himself predicted that resurrection would take place. You know, resurrection has been promised uh, since Genesis as a permanent bruise upon Satan's head. Immediately after Adam and Eve's sin, uh, God gave a promise that through the seed of the woman, through the seed of Mary, that Satan's head would be permanently bruised through the resurrection. Abraham walked to the top of Mount Moriah, which would later be known as Golgotha or Calvary. And as he walked up that mountain in Genesis 22, he walked up because he had been told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar. But Genesis 22 and Hebrews 11 revealed to us that Abraham had such faith in God that he believed that after he had offered Isaac on the altar, that God would resurrect him from the dead. That's the only reason why he was willing to go, because he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. And we know that God provided a lamb in the thicket, and God provided a lamb for the burnt offering. But Abraham had that faith. Another great saint from that era, Job, famously said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And when the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh will I see God. Not every Sunday you hear about skin worms at church, is it? But that's what he said. It's right there in Job 19. He said, you know, someday my physical body is going to die, and yet I will be resurrected to see God. He believed fully in resurrection. Uh, there were two prophets named Elijah and Elisha. How many of you ever get those confused? Elijah and Elisha? Yeah, uh, they were both used by God to resurrect children from the dead, uh, both of them in a unique way. The psalmist in Scripture spoke often about resurrection. God spoke to Ezekiel the prophet about uh, dry bones that would live again. Isaiah the prophet said this in Isaiah 26, Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead bodies shall they arise. Daniel finished his prophecies by telling us all that those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's in Daniel 12, if you're looking for where it's from. Jehovah 
gave these words to Israel through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 13. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy resurrection. That's all in the Old Testament. Now we move into the time of Jesus. And not only did Jesus restore life to the dead, he raised people from the dead, including a man named Lazarus, who was his friend. But he also predicted his own resurrection. The historian Luke gives us these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, gave us these words in John 10, words of Jesus. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And so the resurrection was definitely promised. And it was promised throughout the entire scripture that it would come. And then we see this second part because this is where it all happened. The resurrection assured. The resurrection assured. It wasn't just promised. It actually happened. I know that in your lifetime, if you've lived very long on this planet, there have been people who have made promises to you that they have not been able to keep. Either because they didn't intend to keep them or just because circumstances happen. In fact, I would venture a guess that if you've lived very long on the earth, that you have made a promise to someone that you can't keep because of circumstances or just because you fell down on the job, whatever it is. Do you know this? Jesus never once made a promise that he didn't intend to keep. Not one time. And he promised that he would rise from the tomb. And my favorite version of history and the resurrection, I think, I guess, is Matthew 28. And I'm going to read some scripture from Matthew 28 this morning. If you've got it in your Bible or on your phone there, Matthew 28 and verse number one. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. And this is the end of Saturday as it began to go into Sunday. And in Jewish days, this is weird, and hopefully I don't blow your mind through this, but they had day uh, from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening, and then they had night. And a night came before day. Isn't that weird how that happened? So now it's uh, gone, dawning into the day of the week. And uh, here came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, the grave. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the, angels answered, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Here's what's so unique about Jesus. This is why we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Jesus is the only person ever to predict his own resurrection and then actually rise from the dead. That's 
the essence, that's the foundation of Christianity. And if you've never read the Bible, you can base your entire future on the fact that Jesus promised to rise again, and he did. And if you don't know the books of the Bible and you've never learned any scripture verses, you can still know through Jesus promising that he would rise again and rising again that he will give you eternal life. That's what makes our faith real. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter on resurrection, and here's what it says. It says, if Christ be not raised, then our faith is vain. We are yet in our sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I'll tell you this. Take any major belief system anywhere in the world, except one, and you end up miserable. Any belief system that's not Christianity, and you end up miserable. Because those beliefs only get you to the grave. Christianity gets you back up out of the grave. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that's why it's so good. And you say, Pastor, are you a hater of other religions? No, but uh, I'm a realist when it comes to the fact that there's only one religious leader ever who rose from the tomb under his own power. And he's the one I'm following. And it's his word that I value uh, as being the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important about it. So, uh, you know, here's the thing about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 phrases it this way. You should actually look at it. If you're headed that way or if you already went that way, these are great verses for you to look at. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're looking at a little bit of scripture this morning because it's, it's so valuable to know the, the background and the essence of this. Verse number 20 is where I'm going from. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Here's what it means. Jesus rose from the tomb, and because he rose from the tomb, everybody else will rise from the tomb. Now, I'm going to prove that to you in just a little while. Everybody will rise from the tomb. Every person, whether they believe in God or they don't believe in God, everybody's going to rise from the tomb. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's talking about physically here. Everyone will be resurrected from the tomb. But every man in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. And we're going to give you this order in a little while and help you to understand it. Verse 26, though, I think is so powerful. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So Jesus defeated death, and now he will defeat death for us. Now, this is the part of the message where we switch from the past and we go to the future. All right, so now we're going to be looking at things that are yet to come. And it's so important in Scripture where you see that distinction. So we saw about how the resurrection has been promised. We saw how the resurrection has been assured. And now let's talk about the first resurrection. So let's go back to Revelation, and this time we're going to go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 20. 
And if you have ever read Revelation and not understood what it is talking about, then you have joined the club of every other person who's ever read it. Right? Revelation is impossible to fully understand. And if there are theologians who are in their 80s who have spent their lives studying Revelation who still have question marks and debates and disputes about Revelation. Uh, but the things we're talking about today, we're really certain and we're secure in, and we're going to show you right out of Scripture. And so Revelation chapter 20, verse number 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I want to go and explain this because this is so important that you get a, a good recognition of what this means. In John chapter 5, Jesus called this the first resurrection. He called it the resurrection of life. Okay, so this is the good resurrection, the resurrection of life. As we compare Scripture to Scripture, which is always the best way to study the Bible, we find an indication that in this first resurrection, that there are three phases, okay? And I don't want to get too deep here and get past where we're thinking. There are three phases of bodily resurrection for those who have believed in Jesus. And once again, without getting too deep on this, the second coming of Jesus Christ uh, has two parts, right? If you ever studied this at all, uh, it has two parts. Uh, there's the first part, which is called the rapture which some people call the blessed hope. It's from Titus 2. And then the second part is the revelation. Some people call it the glorious appearing, which is when Jesus actually steps foot back on the earth. And those are in prophecy, and they're very important. But the first part of the resurrection to life takes place at the event called the rapture. Now, how many have ever heard of the rapture? You ever heard about this? When I was in seventh grade, uh, there was a film that showed at our church, and it was called Thief in the Night. Yeah, I'm telling you, anybody ever seen Thief in the Night? Oh, my goodness, I had nightmares yeah, for a long time. I had nightmares because I wasn't sure that when the rapture came that I was going to be involved in that thing. And uh, you say, well, where's the word rapture in the Bible? And yeah, it's a great question. You just stumped me because the word rapture is not in the Bible. Okay, but the event is, and I'm going to show it to you. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the event called the rapture, and this is the first part or the first phase of the first resurrection. And if you're taking notes, you may have to write some on the back of your paper because I didn't give you enough blanks for this. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13, and I like... Yeah, this first phrase. But I would not have you to be ignorant. Don't you like that? How many of you are comforted by the fact that God doesn't want us to be ignorant? Isn't that good? 
God does not want us to be ignorant. He does not want us to be ignorant in life in general, but he especially does not want us to be ignorant about eternal life and death. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And when we say asleep, that means physically dead. Okay, they're physically dead. They're in the grave. That she sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14 is the key verse. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where that word rapture comes from. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then Paul says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So the ones resurrected in this part or this phase of the first resurrection are those who are believers in Jesus since the time of his resurrection. Sometimes people call this the church resurrection. Okay, this is the resurrection where those who are in the church of Jesus Christ uh, are resurrected. The terminology in 1 Thessalonians is important, and I'll show it to you. If you look at verse 14, if you're an underliner, I'll show you these keywords. See, this is how we know it's, it's only New Testament saints. It says, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. Okay, only those who have received Jesus since the time he was on the earth. Yeah, there's another phrase, dead in Christ. That's an important phrase. And then the last phrase that's important is we which are alive and remain. We talking about the saints of God. So that's, that's phase one. Uh, uh, you say, well, you're getting too deep for me. Uh, just do this then. Just take a break. Let your mind ooze out for a while. And when we're ready for the really important stuff, I'm going to call you back, okay? All right, those who want to know about this phase stuff, you stick with me for a minute, and then we'll call everybody else back in. So first resurrection is the good resurrection, resurrection of life. First phase is the New Testament Christians will be raised or resurrected. Phase two is the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. All right, and we already mentioned this in the words of Daniel when he said that, uh, that they will be raised, some to life and some to destruction. If you compare uh, Psalm chapter 50 with Revelation 19, it helps us to get the timing of this resurrection of Old Testament saints. Now, the Bible tells us that Old Testament saints will be friends of the groom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? And uh, how many have ever been to a wedding before? You ever been to a wedding? And yeah, do they still ask when you walk in the back, uh, are you a friend of the bride or a friend of the groom? They still ask that? I don't know because usually when I go to weddings, I'm doing them, and I never get to come in the back. I come in the front. I don't know if they still ask this or not. Yeah, the Old Testament saints are going to be friends of the groom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know who the bride is? The church. The bride is the church of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament saints are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what that means is uh, the resurrection to life of, of those saints has to happen before phase three. So that's why we know where phase two is. Because we know that phase one already happened. 
And we know that phase three has to happen, and so we put phase two in between them, right? How many of you are still down in the bottom? You're still thinking about this, and we're going to call the rest of you back in a minute. Remember, phase three, phase three. This is the resurrection to life of the tribulation saints, those who have received Jesus as Savior during the seven-year tribulation period. And at phase three is what we read about in Revelation chapter 20 at verse number four when it talks about those who have been beheaded for their faith during the tribulation. If you want to study all of this some more, uh, you could read Revelation 6 about the tribulation saints. And they're told to wait for a season until their fellow servants are, are killed by the Antichrist. Here, here's where uh, I want to bring everybody back in now, okay? No matter if you understood the phases or not. Come back in. Yeah, this is the part where I want you to hear. All of those who are involved in the first resurrection from whatever phase, will be resurrected unto holiness. They will be resurrected in the spiritual bodies that can no longer sin. And they will be eternally happy. We read in Revelation 26 that the second death has no power over them. Second death has no power over them. So the people in this first resurrection, that's where we want to be. Okay, now, uh, just for fairness... I'm going to talk to you about the second resurrection. So that's the last part, and then we'll wrap this up and make it all crystal clear, hopefully. So the first resurrection, three phases, we talked about that. The second resurrection, before we get into this scripturally, I can tell you practically speaking that no person in his right mind or her right mind wants to be part of this resurrection. And when people tell you that they're looking forward to hanging out with their buddies in hell, they have no idea what they're saying. Right, they just don't have any idea what they're saying. People tell you, yeah, we're going to get a six-pack and have fun in hell together. They have no idea what they're talking about. They don't know how the Bible describes the lake of fire. They don't understand that it's utter darkness, that it's pain permanently, that you'll be falling constantly. Scripture tells us what this is like. And when people tell you those things, they really don't understand what they're saying. And your best thing is to feel sorry for them. This resurrection is reserved, it says in Revelation 25, 20 and verse 5, for the rest of the dead. The rest of the dead. What that means is all those who are not part of the first resurrection. Okay? All those who are not part of the first resurrection... The rest of the dead, these are the unbelievers from every age in human history. Now that verse, Revelation 25, also gives us the timing of this resurrection. It says it will be at the end of the 1,000 year millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. And it will include those who have re rejected Christ during that 1,000 years. Now I want you to go back to Revelation 20. And if you have not turned to any scripture with me yet so far, please would you turn to this one, because uh, you really have to see this for yourself. And uh, you say, Pastor, why are you talking about all this stuff on Easter? It's supposed to be a day of hope. Here's the thing. If I only tell you the hope, good news, float in the air, wonderful news, then I'm not being true to you. I have to tell you the bad news along with it. The bad news of the second resurrection is the worst possible news for all human beings. Revelation 20, verse number 11. 
And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I think that's the saddest passage anywhere in the Bible. And it describes every soul that is part of the second resurrection. First resurrection is those who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. The second resurrection are those who have rejected Jesus and his offer of salvation. And if you're confused about anything we've talked about today, just reset your brain because this last part of the message, I'm going to tell you how not to be part of that second resurrection. See, the first resurrection tells us that you won't have to face the second death. Second resurrection, you have eternal death. It's called the second death, the lake of fire, the bottomless pit, the worst news possible. And I have heard a lot of people say, well, I just don't believe in the afterlife. Well, that's probably not going to stop you from dying. It hasn't stopped anybody yet. Well, I just don't believe that a, a good God would send people to hell. You know, you're right. A good God has never sent anybody to hell, but sin has. And your sin will send you to the second resurrection and the second death if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And so resurrection has been bought for us. It's already been promised to us. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all will be made alive. Every human body will be resurrected. Some to life, some to death. Here's the big truth for today. When Jesus nailed death to the cross, he defeated physical death for every human being. All people will be resurrected. Those who have believed Jesus died and rose again will rise to life. And those who refuse the gift of eternal life Jesus has offered will rise to the second death, to the great white throne judgment, to eternal separation from God. That is today's big truth. Yeah, I, I know that there are a lot of things that people have on their minds on Easter. What they're going to wear. And which used to be for ladies, which hat to wear. But now we only have some ladies who wear hats. And it used to be the church was just full of ladies' hats on Easter, right? And the kids are worried about uh, what's going to happen at the candy hunt. And how many eggs they're going to get in their basket. 
And uh, there's all sorts of things that we're thinking about today. There are a lot of things in life that we're thinking about. The world is in crisis. Uh, Syria, North Korea, and Iran, and uh, it's just horrible. I'll tell you this. None of it, none of it is even close to as important as what I'm going to tell you today. None of it. In fact, there's nothing in your life so far that is as important as what we're about to talk about. When we say it's a life or death situation, this really is. It's an eternal life or death situation. Here's today's faith challenge. Based upon the fact that we're all going to die, which is a pretty solid bet, right? Nobody's escaped yet. Based on the fact that we're all going to die and based on the fact that Jesus, who said he would rise from the tomb, rose from the tomb and now promises that he will resurrect every soul that has ever lived, based upon that, we know that Jesus has given us a choice. Here's the choice. Resurrection to life or resurrection to death. And you do not have to be militant or hateful toward God to spend eternity in hell. You don't have to be out on the streets beating people over the head and crying out, I hate God, I don't want to go to heaven, to go to hell. All you have to do is neglect taking care of the issue. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is put it off and say, you know what? Maybe I'll think about this next Easter. You may not be here next Easter. All you have to do is put it off and say, you know, when I'm old, I'll take care of it. Later in my life, once I've sowed my wild oats and had the fun I want to have, I'll take care of it. You know, I believe this. I believe the Bible bears this out. If God gives you a moment where he tugs on your heart and tries to pull you to him and draw you to himself and you refuse, he may not tug again. The Bible says his spirit will not always strive with man and he will not always convict and speak to your heart that you're one of the ones who needs Jesus Christ. But he might be speaking to your heart today. And I'm saying don't put it off and don't neglect because God, as I already said, doesn't send people to hell. Sin does and we're all sinners. And we are condemned already, Jesus said. That's why he came to pay the immeasurable price for our sin, to defeat death, and to offer us eternal life through him. So the question really today is this, what are you going to do with Jesus? And I really see three options, and two of them are bad, and they send you to the second resurrection and the second death. The two options that are just horrible for you today are to reject Jesus, I would hope that there's nobody in here today who's just outright saying, Jesus, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. It's possible that there are, but I hope there are none. The second option is to neglect him. To say, you know what? I'll have another shot at this. 
Uh, it's just not big for me right now. Right now I'm thinking about this. Thinking about what I'm doing this spring or what's going on at my work or what's going on with my family. And I'll get to the Jesus thing later. Those two options, reject, neglect, no good. The option, the only option that works is accept. So what I'm telling you is you can reject, you can neglect, or you could accept. And if you want to accept Jesus into your life and say, Jesus, you know what? That first resurrection sounds really good to me. The one that's a resurrection to life where I don't have to face the second death, that's the one I want. I don't want the other one. Then let me tell you what Jesus says you could do to receive eternal life today. Here's what he says you could do. First, you have to admit that you're a sinner. Now, that's probably not that hard because I see mostly teenagers and adults in this room, and we all know that we've messed up, right? In fact, is there anybody who would be willing to admit they've never sinned before? Just don't, do, don't raise your hand. I'm just teasing. And you've never told a lie either, right? We're, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all ticked somebody off. We've all been ticked off. We all have problems. We all have issues. And uh, we need to admit that. The next thing we have to admit is this. That sin leads to the second death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now I'm going to ask you this and I want you to really think about it. What do you think the opposite of eternal life would be? Eternal death. Right? So the wages of sin is eternal death. We're sinners. We deserve eternal death. That's horrible news. The good news is this. Jesus came specifically to die on a wooden cross to hang death on that cross, to nail our sins to his cross by his own blood. And he paid the penalty for our sin. And because of that, now he offers us the gift of eternal life. We just talked about it. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. I want you to think about this. Don't think too hard, all right? Just think the first thing that comes into your mind. It's Christmas time. There's a present under the tree. Maybe even more. You have never seen what's in the present because you're not like my wife. You have not peaked or shaken or rattled. Okay? There's a present under the tree. Has your name on it. It's sitting there. It's Christmas morning. Family tradition's over. You've already done all the things that you do. The Yuletide log is lit or whatever you do. Anybody still light a Yuletide log? Okay, it's, it's all happened. Presence under the tree. Here's, here's the question. Here's the one I want you to think about. Just tell me the first thing in your mind. What do you have to do to get that present? I heard all sorts of things, good thoughts. I heard Jim first. I liked what he said. And maybe the rest of you are right too. I don't know what each individual said. Jim right over here, he said, open it. That sounds pretty common sense to me. Right? If you have a gift that has my name on it, I would be willing to open it. OK? 
okay? When, when we were first married, uh, I had this retirement fund, and I was putting like $25 a month in it because we couldn't afford hardly anything. And I got the statement one month, and it said I had like 3,000 new dollars in it. Like, wow. Interest is really kicking right now. And, uh, and so my wife said, well, I don't understand any of it. What, what happened? I don't know what happened. I said, but I know this. I'm going to take the money. Because here it is. And my name is right on it. And so I called him up and said, I want the money. Send me the retirement money. And it turned out that somebody had put the money into the wrong account. But it had my name on it. So I took it. You say, Pastor, how horrible of you. Remember, we're all sinners. Right? <laughs> we're all sinners. Yeah, we all deserve death. But Jesus came and died on the cross and paid the price. And now he's given us this gift of eternal life. And it says, whosoever. That's anybody. That's your name. All you have to do to receive Jesus today is accept the gift of eternal life. Say, well, how do I do it? Sign me up. I want to be part of the first resurrection. Here's how you do it. Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today, if you would be willing to say, Jesus, I repent of my way and I turn to you. And I want to be part of that first resurrection and sign me up because I believe that you said you would rise from the tomb and then you did it. And I may not understand anything else. I may not understand any of the big Bible words. But I understand that you rose from the tomb and I believe it with all my heart. And I want to be one of your children. If you'd be willing to do that today, Jesus said, as many as received him, to those gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Let's bow in prayer today.